Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here's our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning, and I'm so glad you're here with us so you can listen to this program. It's going to be, we're going to talk today about a subject that almost affects every family in some way. I'm sure if it's not presently in your family, then it's also in your friends. So I'd like to talk about addiction. That's what we're going to talk about. It's approximately 10% of any population is addicted to drugs and alcohol. So I'm going to give you a little facts here about addiction and how prevalent it is in our society. So addiction is more common than diabetes, which occurs in approximately 7% of our population. Addiction crosses all socioeconomic boundaries. 10% of teachers, 10% of plumbers, 10% of CEOs have an addiction. The terms alcohol addiction, alcoholism, and dependency are all equivalent. Different terms have been used over time in an attempt to overcome the stigma of having an addiction, and yet it is so prevalent in so many of us. The causes of addiction are family history. About 50 to 60% of addiction is due to genetic factor. Poor coping skills for dealing with stress, and we all know how stress is increasing in our lives. Negative thinking, such as an all-or-nothing approach to life, also another result of stress. Underlying anxiety or depression. So as we see an onslaught of more stress, more depression, more anxiety, we may very well see a climb in addictions. Now, I just want to list some of the common top five of some of the different kinds of addictions. So the list of addictions to substances, the top five are alcohol, tobacco, opioids, prescription drugs, and cocaine. The list goes on for several. Then there's the list of impulsive control disorders, such as um, compulsive stealing, compulsive setting fires, gambling. Then there's the list of addictions of behavioral. Those are food, sex, porno, using computers, playing video games, exercising, spiritual obsession, pain, cutting, shopping. All of these are behavioral addictions. So that's why I make my general statement that we are all touched in some way by these addictions. 
certainly as we become more more um, of a society that functions with the use of computers, it's easier to hide those addictions. It's easier to shop all the time on the Internet, to play the games all the time. We're raising our children to be computer gurus, actually. And so how will that affect us in the future? Well, my guest today knows some of those answers. She knows because she studied and she knows because she has walked the journey. Kathy Stone is a very successful estate, real estate agent. She's an entrepreneur, life coach, family recovery coach who is launching her business of Kathy Stone Freedom From. In this business, she will be teaching, coaching, and empowering people to have freedom from anything that holds them back, from waking up every day to a life they love. Have you ever wanted to have more freedom, power, and influence in your life around drugs, alcohol, food, nicotine, caffeine, other people, distractions, intimate relationships, or depression? Kathy completely understands For the last 33 years, she has been on a search to have a better life. As a young person, Kathy had serious problems with alcohol, drugs, and eating disorders. She has been clean and sober for 33 years. Yay, Kathy! (laughs) (laughs) 20 years ago, Kathy became committed to following a non-addictive eating plan that completely changed her relationship with food. She created the food plan for giving her the freedom from food obsession she never dreamed possible. So many great things have come into her life as a result of surrendering the food, including maintaining the same weight. I wish we could all say that. (laughs) Being able to get off depression meds, better relationships, new hobbies, new career, and her favorite gift is her husband, Ed. I love that. Originally from Daytona, Kathy now lives in Baltimore, Maryland for over 30 years. She is happily, happily married to Ed. She enjoys tennis, yoga, real estate, and personal development. Welcome, 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 Kathy. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm so curious because you have opened the door by being so transparent about your transition and the fact that you want to really help the community of people with addictions. I, it just speaks so, so great, so well of you as how you want to help others um, make the transition that you did. So why did you, I know you've got a successful real estate business, so was your desire to help others so compelling that you wanted to go into this work? Yeah, well, I um, I just felt like something was missing, and I was just getting so many benefits from my life in recovery and just really, you know, finding so many gifts and feeling so happy and mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pass it along to others. I was always told that the reason that God gives you gifts is so that you can share them with other people. And yeah. I just want to pass along what I 
what I've received in a bigger way. I've been helping people for many years. Oh. Now I just want to pass it along in a, in a bigger way by yeah. being more public with my recovery and being more open and transparent in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you, at what age did your um, addictions begin? Well, I really feel like I started very young. I remember uh-huh. when I was five years old growing up in Dayton, Ohio. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, I would walk into my dad's bedroom and I would swipe change off his dresser to buy candy. Mm. So I was stealing mm-hmm. money to buy candy at a young age. Mm-hmm. And when I was 10, I went, I was, I would go grocery shopping with my mom. And I would sneak away from her, and I would open this big bag of chocolate chips. Mm. I would stuff as many as I could in my mouth and pocket, then shove <laughs> the open bag to the back of the shelf and, you know, catch up with her. Sometimes I was still chewing. So yeah. it started at a young age with food. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time That's- I was 15... Yeah. Sorry. But those are so, well, my thoughts are just, those are so innocent. I mean, those would not, a red flag would not have been waved at all. We just think that would be kid stuff playing with our kids, you know. So it starts so innocently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize it till later on in my life and really looking back and just looking at where it started and just remembering some of the behaviors that I had and how mm-hmm. I was you know, I didn't have a lot of self-control in my life. I didn't have a lot right. of discipline or self-control uh-huh. from a very young age. Mm. Uh, do you think that was because you were given so much freedom or you just recognize that now that was part of your personality? I think it was my personality. Yeah. I don't, I just think it was me. I just didn't, I didn't know how to, to cope at a very young age. I didn't, I wasn't yeah. in touch with my feelings. I wasn't in touch with myself. I was outward focused. Mm-hmm. So I was always maybe trying to make everything okay around me on the outside right. uh, by pleasing people or doing different things and not really focusing on me and my insides and how I felt and what I needed to do to take care of myself. So how did your, um, you started with the the stealing or this. Um, how did that move into the alcohol and the other addictions that you talk about? Well, I had a um, you know an obsession with like what I looked like and my weight, and I started smoking cigarettes when I was fifteen. I thought that that would be a way to control my weight. Yes. Because I felt a little out of control with food and I felt fat, even though I wasn't really overweight, mm-hmm. but I just didn't feel good about myself physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I started smoking to control the weight. And then right. I started, you know, taking diet pills and um, I started drinking. I started drinking and smoking pot at 15. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I and I believe that I use those now. things. To, I'm sorry. I don't think that's uncommon now. I think that's really prevalent, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think a lot of people do that, especially now with the, all the e-cigarettes and the jewels. I see a lot of 
kids starting really young. Now, mm. some people can do it and they don't get addicted and it doesn't lead to other things, but then there's some of us that it does lead to other things. Mm. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the difference? Is it just the way the brain's wired or or what is it? Yeah, I I don't really I don't really know, but right. maybe people have more self discipline, they uh-huh. don't have that addictive personality. Mm-hmm. They um yeah, they have a good sense of themselves so they know when to stop and if something's not making them feel good, they don't continue to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's a, you know, that's always a big question. When I was doing my research, I came across Dr. Stephen Malinzi. I don't know if you know him or not. But anyway, he was describing it as it the, that actually the addict, addictive personality is just the way the brain is wired as far mm-hmm. as one of the reasons he said there are three reasons. And that when one starts, um, when they start consuming something, they don't have the shutoff button where some people, one drink is enough, but some people it's not. So that Mm -hmm. is another characteristic of addiction. And then the third thing is which you have certainly done is to create a totally new life as your recovery. So, Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that was just some that, I, you certainly know the story. I'm just kind of was doing some research here. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, no, that sounds, yeah, absolutely. Some people, like I said, that have that addictive personality and other people can, you know, turn it off. Like they can mm-hmm. just have one drink or have one piece of chocolate and yeah. they're done with it. They move on and they can focus on other things. Yeah. Um, I know the sugar battle and I know that can't just have one. So, but I, that is so common with so many people. You know, they, um, I have girlfriends that they just can't wait to have another cookie. It's like the sugar addiction is so difficult to stop without a really serious reason. Um, mm-hmm. Because sugar's in everything. They've done a really good mm-hmm. job putting sugar in everything, don't you think? <laughs> it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, it is in yeah. everything. Yeah. So would you tell us your story about your your journey of addiction? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so like I said, my food addiction started really young, yeah. and then I, at 15 I started, you know, using drugs and alcohol and, Mm-hmm. and bulimia um, to control my weight. and So, Timmy, for the, those that don't know, the, the bulimia is which one of the eating disorders? Is that where you purge or is that's that That's binging it? and purging, yes. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I would binge and purge, and, and I did that all through high school and college pretty much. Um, uh-huh. Uh, and then when I was 22, I realized that I needed some help. I was really, I had got graduated from college, but I couldn't work. 
and my boyfriend had dumped me because I had a blackout mm. at his house, and I don't remember what I did. Right. And I, my parents finally drew a line with me. They were pretty disgusted with my behavior and the fact mm. that they had paid for my college, and I was just, I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. They pretty much drew a line with me, and I finally realized after seeing my ex-boyfriend at a bar with his new girlfriend mm. and getting really, really drunk, the next morning I woke up and I thought, I'm an alcoholic. And I went to uh, my psychiatrist that day, and I told him, and I said, I need to go to like a support group meeting. So he encouraged me to, you know, go that evening. Mm-hmm. And I've been sober ever since that was December 12th, 1985. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I, at, at that time I quit purging. I quit drinking. I quit drinking drugs. I quit. Um, yeah. So I quit those things, but I was still like smoking cigarettes, like a pack a day. Yeah. And when, and I was still sort of struggling with the food because they encouraged me to like eat sugar when I first got sober to help with the withdrawals. Oh. So I was, I still had like some binging episodes, but then I would uh-huh. use the cigarettes to control it. Ah, um, yeah. A year later, I gave, in 1987, I gave up smoking. And that's when the food really started, uh, you know, becoming difficult. I would, I was a flight attendant, a flight attendant at the time, and I would be on the airplane and I would eat like 30 bags of peanuts. Um, oh. And I was just really out of control with my yeah. food at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And someone suggested you- that I give up sugar. And I just, I couldn't even, I was like so mad. I was like, how can you expect me to give up sugar? I just <laughs> quit drinking and I'm only 22 years old. You know, I'm 23 years old and I, I oh. just quit drinking and taking drugs. And now you're telling me I have to give up sugar. I was like really mad. Yeah. But I was so out of control and I was willing to try anything. So yeah. I basically tried I gave it up and I started eating three meals a day mm-hmm. and I lost my weight and I got off the sugar. And then I thought mm-hmm. after several months, well, maybe I could start eating it again. Oh. And before I knew it, I was binging like crazy. Uh. And that went on for years. Like I kept going back and forth and back and forth. And uh-huh. it was like this vicious cycle of, of, you know, restricting and then binging and then feeling bad and restricting and then binging went on for years. And that was really miserable. I was really depressed and I would lose days because the days that I binged, I felt like I just wanted to hide under the covers. Mm -hmm. That has to do a lot. Does that, I'm guessing that that would really mess up the, the chemicals in your body by that process. Yes. Yes, which contributes to depression, for Mm -hmm. sure. Definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. It definitely made me very lethargic, made me very Mm -hmm. depressed, made me very negative. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt sorry for myself. I was frustrated. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, I don't blame you. I mean, really, that's a lot to carry at such a young age. But one of the things that I heard you say a few minutes ago is that when you went to your support group, one of the things you just is you made a decision. And although it didn't cover all of your addictions, it certainly did impact some of your addiction that you were dealing with at that time. And it's amazing to me the power of making a decision, what it can do for people when they actually say, I'm committed to this decision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, am I made less... a decision that I was going to stop and I knew I had to because I had almost I was pretty close to death. I mean, I was really, you know, drinking every day, every morning, every night. Uh, I was very, I couldn't, I quit driving because I had wrecked so many cars. I thought, Mm. I'm just not going to drive anymore. (laughs) I was really in bad shape. Yeah. I couldn't really work and I lost my boyfriend and friends and yes. Mm, Pretty isolated. Yeah. Very. Yeah. So um, you had your support group. Were you were you also seeing a psychologist, or how did you get connected again? Was it strictly through the support group that gave you the 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 community and the power, the total power that you needed to make this transition? Yeah, I I had a support group, a support system. I had I had therapy. I had group therapy. I oh, had. Okay you know, friends and that were friends in recovery and people mm-hmm. that helped me. I had, you know, different coaches over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, just worked on myself, you know. Right. I never wanted to go back to the old way of life. I really, even though things were tough at times, nothing was worse than, you know, being in my addiction. Yeah, right. So, well, I think I it's kept really important. Yeah, I think it's really important that when you go into something that you have a strong support group. I mean, I find in my own life now that I've gotten so much into my coaching work that it it really helps to have that support group of other coaches as part of your family. So you and I met at a a coaching event and I think it's really important to have that I mean my I come back to my hometown and my friends I still like but they can't support me in the way that my new friends that have the common interests support me and I just I just Mm -hmm. think that's really 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 important that you have that Mm -hmm. you know Because I can talk much easier to you than I can some of my old friends now because we're so different. Our lives are so different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love meeting new people that are open and, you know, supportive and want to have a better life. Right. Yeah. Well, I I went through the decision thing um, last year, last two years, when I faced breast cancer. And, you know, one of the things that automatically feed that disease is the sugar. 
So there went the wine in the evening, there went the, the cookies, the the concentration of sugar um, in my diet because I don't want to feed the monster. So, but that was an easy decision for me because of the importance of wanting to do my work. So I think I just am amazed at once you've got a reason, life can start to change and you can start to mm-hmm. create a, a new you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we talk about, uh, as a young person, um, I know right now that you work with all addictions or do you concentrate on one area? Yeah, I really, I help people with uh, any type of recovery or addiction issue achieve freedom and power so that they can, you know, live a happy, purposeful life. So whatever issue they're having, I've been, you know, I've been through it. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. have kids, but I Mm -hmm. was the kid. I was the kid that was acting out, and I know what my parents did to save my life. Yeah. So I've walked through all kinds of, you know, things in my life, depression. I've gotten to the other side of depression. Mm-hmm. I've been off all meds for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I have zero cravings in my life for sugar. I've been off sugar and flour for 20 years. And wow. I've, you know, learned to, you know, to live without it and to live happily without it and to mm-hmm. live free. You know, I never, mm-hmm. ever feel deprived that I can't have sugar. Yeah. I love the freedom that I have and I feel like I do eat really good food and healthy food and I don't I don't feel deprived. Yeah. I and I, you know, maintained my sobriety for thirty three years. So and I married a a, a really, you know, a really healthy guy. It's mm-hmm. kind of like I came full circle because my husband has never been drunk in his life. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I married an engineer and he's oh. never, you know, used a drug or been drunk in his whole life and he doesn't drink yeah. and, yeah. and he's made, he, he's very healthy in terms of he's been the same weight since I've met him and he's the kind of person that can maybe have a bite of chocolate and, you know, be done right. with it. You know, so right. he's very, he's very um, steady and very right. disciplined. Right. Well, I just love when you refer to him in your written notes and everything. You just express the happiness that you have in sharing your life with Ed. And I just think that is such a wonderful, beautiful thing, just the way you express that. I mean, it tells yeah, us that you, you have made your journey and you have come to the happy life. And so I, yeah. I love reading your, your bio because it was very evident there. We are going to take a short break now so that you can get your second wind and come back for more with Kathy. Kathy's story has only begun. You've, you've, You've heard the great journey that she has made, and she's going to share more information about how you can talk with her, how you can seek out her wisdom that she's learned. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Kathy Stone.
transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. We are visiting today with Kathy Stone, who has told us her really heart-wrenching story of transition from a small child taking coins for mom and dad to buy chocolate and stowaway sweets, moving into alcohol and her different addictions over her life, and then ending up once she made the commitment, once she got fed up with her life, more or less, has made this commitment to honor herself, to love herself, and to um, find that support that she needed to make that transition. So, Kathy, one of the things that you spent an awful lot of your life with was with food addiction. And so yeah. you are very, very interested in uh, providing a, a process for people to help with their food addiction. So could you talk more about that? Yes, yes. Um, so basically, I think the first thing that people need to do if they're, you know, struggling with um, with a food addiction and they want to be free is they have to start following a food plan that eliminates trigger food. And oh. What is it? Yeah. So a food plan, it's, it's not a diet. Instead, it relies on principles of acknowledging your powerlessness over food, whereas a diet relies on willpower. And oh. we know that diets can work for a period of time, but the white knuckling and the willpower usually lose in the end. So a food plan is similar to a budget. You know, it's not deprivation. It's exactly pretty much what your body needs to to sustain itself, to to have energy, and then to get to a, a weight where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? I mean, is there a percentage of vegetables and percentage of other things? Or yeah, I mean. 
My food plan that I've been following for like 20 years is basically three meals a day and a snack. Mm-hmm. And I eat, I eat like for for breakfast. I had a half a cup. I have a half a cup of yogurt, uh, a cup of almond milk, a cup of cereal that's like fruit juice, sweetened cereal, and then mm-hmm. I have a fruit. Mm-hmm. And then for lunch, I basically have two cups of vegetables, three ounces of protein, two tablespoons fat, and a starch and a fruit. And for dinner, I have a starch three ounces of protein, two cups of vegetables, and a fat. And then for my snack, which I can have, you know, later in the day if I'm eating out late at night Mm -hmm. or after dinner, you know, later on in the evening, and that's a cup of cereal, a cup of milk, and a fruit. And I've pretty much been on that same plan for the last 20 years. I mean, I've modified it slightly just for different times in my life, maybe when I was more active or when I turned 50, I had to make some adjustments, but that's pretty Mm -hmm. much what I eat. And then I eat, you know, then I exercise, you know, four, four to five times a week for like 40 minutes. And I pretty much, you you know, maintain my weight. Yeah. So what is your exercise of choice? There's so many. I do some walking on the treadmill, and then I do some, it's called bar, which is like a combination of yoga, Pilates, and ballet. And it's, yeah, so it's it's a good full body workout, but it's gentle on the joints because mm-hmm. I have some um, arthritis in my knee, so yeah. it's, it's pretty gentle, and it's kept me kept me healthy and kept me in really good shape. So a lot of planks, a lot of core work, things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, because we're we're encroaching upon those older years. I want to say that as gentle as I can because you are younger than I. But, you know, there's some really strange things that happen when you start into those double-digit numbers. You kind of go, wow. Really, you know, all of, a, all of a sudden, and I certainly found with the going through the cancer and the treatment that some of those came like out of the out of nowhere. They were all of a sudden mm-hmm. here, and I was going, "Oh wait, this is way too early. I'm not ready for this." But a, yeah. an exercise plan. Now, did who did you develop the eating plan, or did you have a guide? in helping you just determine what eating plan was best for your body? Well, I went away uh, 20 years ago to get help, and that's the food plan that they put me on. Oh, okay. So Yeah, so I went and got some help, and that that was pretty much the food plan that they put me on, and I've just – it's a non-addictive eating plan. It it doesn't consist of um, sugar or white flour. And I've really, I've just loved it. So I've just stayed yeah. on it. But well, I recommend I think, to people that I help that yeah. they, you know, I could give them my food plan. I'm happy to do that. But also they could also go to a nutritionist and get a food plan. Yes. It's pretty important, though. I think, I well, one, I'm surprised that white flour uh, or wheat was uh 20 years ago, it was recognized as something that didn't work well for your body. 
um, and seems just today with all this gluten-free and all the other things that we're dealing with, and more and more people are finding that they don't, they need to eat gluten-free, that it was so important in your diet 20 years ago. So do you consider that you were having gluten issues or was that just something they, they determined? Well, what I learned was that the flour breaks down in the system similar to sugar and causes those oh. highs and lows. And one of my oh. trigger foods really was bread and pasta. Mm. So that was like my trigger food. Those were like binge foods for me. Like when I would go out, I would eat a lot of bread and butter. So when I, uh-huh. you know, had to look at my trigger foods, my trigger foods were really the sweets and the, the flowers and things mm. like that. And once I got that out of my body, you know, my whole, um, you know, mood and weight and everything mm-hmm. just shifted. Wow. Was it noticeable that you could tell that it shifted in just a like a two week period? Yeah, or something I felt like, like that? a new, I felt like a new person. Like I felt like free for the first time in my life, where food wasn't calling to me anymore. Like mm. I just felt free, and I felt like, oh, this is what I need to do to take care of myself. I eat this um, food, and then I live life in between. So mm-hmm. the discipline of the food plan has given me the freedom to, you know, live life in between meals and focus on other things besides food and weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it's, go ahead. I was going to say, it just has become a habit. It's like literally like tying my shoes. You know, I just, it's like a habit. You know, it's it was hard at first because I didn't eat that much in terms mm-hmm. of I didn't eat that many times in a day. But now it's just like a habit that I eat breakfast, I eat lunch, I eat dinner, and I eat a snack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting that routine. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, I also like that you recognize the, the need that your recovery in that final stage when you went away to a center that you needed total removal from your environment so that you Mm -hmm. could transition and go through all the different phases of the food and, and routine exercise, create all of that. And, um, there really is some benefit in allowing somebody to remove themselves from their present environment so they can make that growth. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you, yeah, you no, found it very It beneficial. was really helpful because, you know, you have all those emotional triggers at home. And yeah. I had a lot of, like, you know, I had really good intentions every day, but then something would come up and it would just be that old trigger. And mm-hmm. I would just go back to the binging. I'd be like, oh, forget it. I'm going to start tomorrow. So... Removing myself from my environment and being around people that could basically eat all my meals with me. Yeah. And I wasn't alone and I yeah. couldn't cheat, basically. <laughs> I got through. I It was enough to sort of open for the light bulb to go off and be like, oh, wow, I can do this. Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of support. Great. Sounds it. Yeah have to happen. Now, um, 
I'd like for you to share with us, you like your website. It's presently in the making, correct? Yes. It's okay. presently in the making. Um, Kathy Stone, Freedom From. Yes. Freedom From anything that's holding you back from waking up to a life that you love. Yeah. And I'm going to offer family recovery programs. I have a family recovery uh, coach specialty. So Mm -hmm. I help families that have loved ones that deal with addiction that want to be their loved one's best chance at recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, What I, what I found is that as I made changes in my life and took care of myself and Mm -hmm. got my recovery, I it had yep. the ripple effect throughout my whole family, and I've been able to help so many people just by helping myself. So yeah. I think that um, that's really important right now for, you know, family members that have loved ones. There are mm-hmm. definitely things you can do to contribute to recovery rather than to addiction. Yeah. So uh, that I is such a- coach families. Yeah, it's such for a family, it's such a difficult path to know how to walk. I mean, we don't we don't know what we should say, what we don't want to say, what would be beneficial. Do we do we strike back after emotional frustration? I mean, that's really a difficult path for the family because usually they've got their own thing they're dealing with. So Yeah, it is tough. So I teach people like how to be in their family. I, I, I we educate them on on addiction and enabling and leverage mm-hmm. and boundaries and mm-hmm. and motivational interviewing so they know what to say, how to have an intervention with their loved one, how to yes. stay calm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I also experienced some alcohol addiction in my family, and so I can so resonate with the importance of just having you as a resource to help somebody take that road so that their mm-hmm. loved one can have a successful recovery. Um, mm-hmm. And realizing that they're part of the picture, too. They're part of yeah. the addiction. <laughs> Yeah, there. Yes. It's a family. It's a family disease, yes. and co-addiction can be just as powerful as the addiction. Yeah, right. It can be really powerful. I've seen, you know, mothers drive their kids downtown or to get their heroin because they they feel like they don't want their kid to go on them their own and something happened to them. You know, just really crazy stuff. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, really crazy. Did you call stuff. that enabling? Enabling, yes. Yeah, yeah. A severe well, case of enabling. Yes, severe. Yes, it is. Um, so I'd like for you. I know for some people they may have questions. They don't know if they're at the place where they need to talk to their loved one, or they don't know what they are going to do with who with who they are. So, or how they're dealing with their addiction. So, or even if they have an addiction, there's so many different levels of, of, of addiction. And so how could they get in touch with you, Kathy? I know you've offered to be available to them. So you want to tell us about that and how they could get to you? 
Yes, the best way is through email, Kathy at KathyStone.org. It's okay. Kathy with a K. And Kathy at KathyStone.org, O-R-G. Mm-hmm. And just leave me your email or your phone number, and I will reach out to set up a conversation to talk mm-hmm. to you. Mm. That would be so helpful. Um, do you, do you um do you charge for this or I have a complimentary discovery call mhm so for an hour right and then we can decide you know what is best for you know them to you know I can give them resources or mm-hmm. if they want to coach with me or join one of my coaching groups or get some more education it, you know, completely up to them. Yeah. So the addictions that you coach on are alcohol, drug, food, or is it just any addiction? It's pretty much any addiction. So my three specialties are family recovery. So anything that's happening in a family with Mm -hmm. regards to addiction, Mm -hmm. food recovery, any kind of eating disorder, compulsive overeating, Emotional mm-hmm. eating issue, and re- and then third is any kind of um, intimate relationship issue, um, mm-hmm. you know, unhealthy relationship patterns. Mm-hmm. If you want a healthy relationship and you haven't been able to have one, I help women get healthy relationships and you know reach their goals in that area. Would that be independent of addiction? Or would addiction be involved in the intimate relationship? Well, it's a pattern of unhealthy relationships, mm-hmm. so it is like love addiction. Oh, yes. So okay. it's choosing partners that aren't available. Ah, okay. So yeah. it's sort of, it's I call it like love addiction or relationship addiction or people that have to have a relationship and they go from one to the next to the next. They can't be alone, but they're not fulfilled in their relationships and then they have a lot of obsession around their relationships a lot of fear a lot of insecurity a lot of distrust they find Mm -hmm. that they're with people that they don't their values don't align with their their partner's values and their partner wants them to do things that they don't want to do uh but yet they're attracted to the partner even though they're so different Hmm. Are they are attracted to the partner? They're attracted to the thought of love. Yeah, the thoughts, the fantasy of what it could be. Yeah. Maybe some physical attraction. But they sure. don't really know the person. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the person that the real person they really aren't attracted to. So they we can make up these fantasies in our minds. So I did that for many years. So I was 45 when I got married for the first time. So that's, Mm. I have a lot of experience with dysfunctional relationships because I was in so many of them for so many years. So Mm -hmm. I learned what I needed to do and what I needed to change about myself because I was the common denominator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could, blame the guys, but really that didn't get me anywhere. I was the common denominator. Water seeks its own level. Why was I with them? Yeah. You know, what attracted me in the beginning, you know, what, what did, what was my part in the relationship? 
what do I need yeah. to change about me so that I don't get involved with someone like this again? Yeah. Yeah, that that is interesting that we we attract what we are vibrating at our own in our own bodies in our own lives. Um, I've done just a little of that review of that, looking into that. I thought that was very interesting when I watched, heard about it, the vibration and the energy that we attract into our life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so interesting. So. We're we are looking forward to having your expertise available to all those families out there, Kathy, that that struggle with addiction in some form fashion. Um, it seems to be growing. Um, it just is so prevalent. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that we're more of an internet uh, world than we ever had. Has that a really affected our civilization as much as I'm thinking it has. But um, I think there's an awful lot of addictions that we just accept as part of life. We just say, oh, it's just part of life. You know, we don't address them. Yeah. And why do you think that is? There's another side. Mm -hmm. Well, I think as a society where our our culture is... We live in an addictive society, so mm-hmm. everything that, you know, we get all these ads that, you know, to celebrate, you need to drink and you need to eat, and then there's all these diets, you know, we're constantly bombarded with all these diets, and then mm-hmm. you go to Staples to buy copy paper, and there's food everywhere, so we live in a culture, we live in a society where there's just, we're constantly bombarded with unhealthy things mm-hmm. and it just, and, and everybody's doing it. So we think it's just totally normal. That's what happened to me. You know, I thought that everybody just drank and that's what you did. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there was this whole other world out there where you don't have to drink to mm-hmm. be happy. Mm-hmm. So you just... Did- do you and Ed have friends that drink, or do you tend to have friends that don't? I mean, have we you have changed friends, your world? We have friends that drink, but we have friends that don't drink. You know, we have mm-hmm. a lot of friends that don't drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you kind of hang out with what you're doing uh, in your life. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are the most successful relationships. Because you have the same, you appreciate the same things. You don't need the alcohol to have a good time. So, yes. I'm so curious. How did you meet Ed? Was he? Ed and I met playing tennis. We met playing tennis. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was really cool. And yeah, it was really, I have a whole other story about that. (laughs) That's another (laughs) podcast. But yes. So, we met playing tennis. He, it was, he was a setup. I had just literally, you know, I had broken off an engagement the year before, and mm-hmm. I was ready to date again. And my friend said she wanted to set me up with this really nice guy. So I was like, I'm not picking him anymore. So I figured <laughs> I'd be open-minded and go out with him. <laughs> so was it an attraction immediately when you met each other? No, it was it was slow. It was different. It was different. And I needed a lot of coaching to stay open to it because it was, it was different. It wasn't that 
you know, attraction. It was more of getting to know him and realizing that we had the same values, we had the same interests, we had the same, we had a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. and just really, you know, getting to know him as a person. Mm-hmm. And it was, it wasn't that attraction. The attraction came later um, as we, you know, got closer and became right. really close as friends and just became, um, yeah, very close. And it's yeah. grow, it grows. Like now we've been married 10 years and we're closer than we were. You know, I look back and I think, wow, we hardly knew each other when we got married, but we're just, we had the foundation of, of everything to build mm-hmm. a really strong relationship. You know, the same values, the same interests, the same, um, you know, right. the same things that were important to us. Well, I think those, I think building the foundation of a friendship is a wonderful way to start a relationship because mm-hmm. eventually that's what you do. You end up as friends. I mean, that's what's going to carry you through the tough stuff. Um, yes, yes. We're best friends. We have a blast together and we adore each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. So as you move forward, um, the do you see you someday totally being a coach and uh, saying goodbye to the real estate business? Yes, yes. I'm just um, in the process of transitioning. Uh-huh. I've recently hired someone that's going to be taking over my business. And getting her trained and just Uh getting everything launched, you know, my website Uh and all my programs and different things like that. I'm currently coaching, but just getting everything, you know, online and launched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Now, are you an independent real estate agent or are you with a company? I work with Keller Williams, which is a great company. It's a national company. So if you ever need a great real estate agent, feel free to reach out and I can hook you (laughs) up wherever you are. I have a lot of great connections across the country. And yeah, uh, yeah, I've been doing real estate for 20, 25 years. Really? 25 years? Wow. Yes, you are. Yes. So in a city like, um, let's see, where you're living in, where, 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 where? Maryland, Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Do you do residential or you do business? Residential. Residential. Mainly residential. I do a little bit of commercial, but mostly residential. Ah, yeah. Well, um, the house market in my um, areas is sometimes good, sometimes slow. Uh, It seems like every time I sell a house, it's slow. But... But Mm, yeah, that's just me. But we have covered so many topics today, Kathy. But the main thing that I feel so appreciative about is that you've been so open with us about your journey, because there's that person out there that needed to hear that message today. And um, I really encourage them to communicate with you. If there's anybody out there with a question, any any question, it's no question is too simple or too 
difficult or too private to um, ask Kathy. And so you're to contact you, it's um, Kathy at Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y Stone dot org. So is yeah. there anything else that you might want to share with our listeners before we go away? We are finished. We are complete. Yeah, so I just want to share that, you know, anytime you give something up, you get something so much better. And Mm -hmm. I had resistance to letting go of different things, Mm -hmm. but yet God had something so much better planned for me. I can't even imagine, you know, my life. It's so rich and Mm -hmm. so full, and I have so much freedom. So I just Mm -hmm. encourage you to be open-minded and and just, you know, open to a different way. Thank you, Kathy. Well, we are we are finished for today. We've we've been inspired by your message. So, for my listening audience, thank you for being with us today. I hope you walk away with more than you came with, and that you have a great day. We'll be talking next week. Thank you for being here. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services and 